Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. All right, so for those of you here, the last um, week we were uh, reflecting about wise speech and the four different dimensions of that. And uh, I'd ask people to try and pay attention to one of those that was most interesting to you during the week. So I thought I'd start by seeing if anyone had uh, noticed anything that they wanted to share or had any questions come up as you were trying to pay attention to that. And for those who are not here, just to review the uh, dimensions of wise speech, or maybe I'll see if anyone remembers. <laughs> Does anyone remember? Four, there are four different uh, pieces to the, the wise speech one. Let's see. Raise your hand if you can remember one of them. Yes. Yes, to avoid idle chatter, yep. Number four, ding, good, yeah. Yeah, avoid false speech, yep. Uh, Exaggeration, yeah, exaggeration is like, yeah, a part part of false speech, like a dimension of that, yep. Uh, Harsh speech, yep, harsh speech. So we have, yeah. Gossip? Gossip, slander, yes, yes, divisive speech. Okay, so those are the four. So avoiding uh, false speech, also known as lying, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, avoiding uh, harsh or abusive speech, uh, avoiding um, divisive speech, like gossip, slander, uh, you know, intentionally using words to divide people. Uh, and the fourth one was to avoid idle chatter, and unnecessary talk, so talking when necessary. So uh, any, anything anyone noticed during the week that you want to share, or even if you noticed it during this uh, last period of our break, too? It's not it's okay, but let's give it a chance. Yeah. What about withholding speech? I mean, you're talking about people actually speaking, but what about holding back, like withholding information? Mm. Maybe it might hurt someone, uh-huh. or maybe you're you know, holding on to something. Yeah. So the question is about withholding speech. So then can you uh, keeping around that, right? Uh, like, holding back from saying something. Right. Um, so the main ones that, you know, essentially in many of these different teachings, it's about, uh, it's sort of said in the negative, uh, like, you know, avoid false speech. So the, the precept is not around, like, always say, it. like, if something occurs to you that's true, always say it. So it's not that. Right. And then there's kind of, um, like, if you do speak, it's to say something that's true, um, that also is useful, uh, and to say it at the right time, in the right place. So there's all these other kind of caveats on it too. So actually sometimes the withholding it kind of depends on what the other parameters are around it. So sometimes if something is true, uh, it's not the right time to say it or it's not the right context to say it. Right? So then maybe withholding might be skillful. But then other times it could be that um, withholding something uh, is unskillful because it actually could lead to some um, better understanding or uh, figuring out what happened or you know something like that. So it actually brings us um, around then to the topic for today, which is about wise intention. And uh, in the April past, we've done the first link, which is about um, wise view. And we talked about that as both the uh, uh, mundane right view, which is about cause and effect, understanding karma, and then the, the uh, 
Others didn't like, you know that it's super mundane and just like uh, a saying the Four Noble Truths. Um, we talked about uh, the wise action, which was uh, around basically three out of five of the precepts. So about avoiding killing, um, avoiding taking what's not offered, and avoiding uh, sexual harm, so sexual uh, misconduct or harming others with their sexuality, or ourselves in fact too. And then this fourth one is around speech. So speech was kind of pulled out of those precepts of the specific one to pay attention to. Uh, so I'm doing them in a, in a somewhat different um, order, uh, and the first one is around wise view, which is about sort of understanding uh, the truth, and there's a way of, we understand in the beginning to a certain level, and then as we kind of progress, like our understanding deepens too. So with all of these, it's not like, you know, check number one, and then move on to number two, and then check number two, you know, so we're developing all of them at different times, and uh, in some ways refining all of them at different levels too. So this one by wise intention is actually number two, uh, the second step on the Eightfold Path. So it actually precedes uh, wise action and wise speech, which we've done uh, already. And part of that is because you know, action is like the manifestation through the body, and then speech is the manifestation through words. Um, but preceding any of that is actually an intention. So actually everything that we do, everything that we do and that we say has some kind of intention about it. And in the Buddhist teachings and the practice, it's that it's actually really important to pay attention to intention. Like, uh, there's a, a saying that everything rests on the tip of intention. So in this practice, it's not just about, like, um, you know, the get to the goal by any means. Like, actually paying attention to the intention through which we do something is as important as, like, did this thing happen or not. And, uh, we talked about this a little bit, like, even the same action can have different intentions. So, uh, the, the common example is like someone can cut someone else and it could be like stabbing them out of hatred or trying to rob them or, or harm them or cruelty or it could be someone can cut someone else and they're actually a surgeon or they're trying to remove a splinter or they're it's part of a uh, actually healing or just kindness. So the intention uh, makes the difference in those. And you can think about that for many different things. Like you could actually say something uh, and the same thing could be said with different intentions with an intention of kindness or with an intention of harming you. So the Buddha was at some time uh, a regular sort of spiritual practitioner guy, so someone who was trying to figure out and understand uh, suffering and life and death and what's it all about and all this kind of stuff. As many of us probably are, many of you are. And so I like some of the stories from the time of the Buddha and the suttas in which he actually describes his uh, journey, basically, like his own practice. So here's um, one of these uh, suttas in which he's talking about uh, some of his practice, and uh, it's called Two Kinds of Thought, and in the, the Majjhima Nikaya, uh, number 19. So he's t- talking to some of his monks and nuns, so he says, uh, so before my enlightenment, when I was still only an unenlightened bodhisattva, it occurred to me, suppose that I divide my thoughts into two classes, and I said on one side, thoughts of sensual desire, thoughts of ill will, and thoughts of cruelty. And I said on the other side, thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-ill will, and thoughts of non-cruelty. So he's, he's doing a little experiment in his uh, practice. Like what if I just like simplify it down, you know, if you think like, oh, all these things are happening, okay, I'll simplify it down. Whatever thoughts come up, divide them into these two categories. 
you can think about it like even these, you know, we've got the tea there, there's just different boxes. There's like the vanilla tea, rooibos, there's the mint tea, there's, you know, so you're like, I just have two boxes for them, you know. These are uh, these uh, central desire, ill will, and cruelty I put on this side, and this other side I put uh, renunciation, which is the opposite of desire, right? So it's rather than grasping onto, being able to let go. Ill will, and then um, instantly we call it non-ill will. Which is kind of, it may seem like a strange way to call something, like what's non-ill will or non-cruelty. Um, so I'll talk about that a little bit um, more and ask you some questions about it too. So, okay, so you decided you're going to divide in these two different categories. So, as I abided thus, diligent, ardent, and resolute, so this is in his, basically his, his mindfulness practice, where he's like, paying attention, a thought of sensual desire arose in me. I understood thus, this thought of sensual desire has arisen in me. So, first he's mindful, he knows this is what's here. And then he considers it, and he says, this leads to my own affliction, to others' afflictions, and to the affliction of both. So actually, this is heading in the direction I don't want to go. It obstructs wisdom, it causes difficulties, and it leads away from nibbana, or freedom. When I consider it thus, that this leads to my own affliction, uh, etc., it subsided in me. And when I consider this leads to others' affliction, it subsided in me. When I consider this leads to the affliction of both, it subsided in me, and so on. So that's whenever a thought of sensual desire arose in me, I abandoned it, <coughs> I removed it, and I did away with it. So he's kind of paying attention in this way. So like, oh, okay, what's this? Oh, okay, that's, this is sensual desire, and this is not helpful. So he reflects on all these different ways it's not helpful. Like, actually, this drives me uh, away from happiness in the direction I don't want to go. Uh, it actually uh, harms others, too. Uh, and it leads to the affliction of both. It actually obstructs wisdom, causes difficulty, and so on. So then he does the same with cruelty. So he realizes when a thought of cruelty arose in me, and he said thus, this thought of cruelty has arisen in me. So cruelty, cruel thoughts did arise in him, right? And so he's saying, okay, this thought of cruelty, this actually leads to my own affliction, uh, to the affliction of others, and to the affliction of both. It obstructs wisdom, it causes difficulty, and leads away from freedom. When I considered, considered thus, it subsided in me. So whenever I thought of cruelty arose in me, I abandoned it, I removed it, I did away with it. And then, you know, similarly, so he went, went through these, right? So then he says, so, so bhikkhus, so practitioners, Whatever you frequently think and ponder upon, that will become the inclination of your mind. So he's noticed that in each individual case, like, oh, this one is helpful, this is not helpful. So then also, he notices this pattern, right? Like, the more you dwell on this one, like, the more you head in that direction. So whatever you frequently think and ponder upon, that will become the inclination of your mind. If you frequently think and ponder upon thoughts of sensual desire, you have abandoned the thoughts of renunciation to cultivate the thought of sensual desire, and your mind inclines towards desire. So it's actually very powerful. So when you're you're making this choice in some ways, saying, right, if, if desire is arisen, you're like, oh, that's good, I'll, I'll keep that one along. Uh, you're cultivating that. So kind of like if you're cultivating a, um, a row of seeds, you know, uh, like in a gardening metaphor, you know, you plant them, you water them, you put fertilizer on them, make sure they're not too cold, if you want them to grow, maybe put a little greenhouse. So if when desire arises, like you want this to continue, you're kind of doing that with, with desire, or you're doing this with cruelty, or you're doing this with ill will. Right? And not only are you doing that, you're actually kind of destroying the other one. So you're, you're uh, letting go of the cultivation of the other one, of renunciation of generosity. Right? So whatever you think and ponder upon, that will become the inflation of your mind. 
if you frequently think and ponder upon thoughts of ill will, then that will become the inclination of your mind towards ill will. If you frequently think upon thoughts of cruelty, then you've abandoned non-cruelty and you are cultivating cruelty. So he goes on with some sort of metaphors around this. And, um, and then basically goes to the other side. And so he's, he's now uh, examined this category of the cruelty, the ill will, the greed. And then he says, well, what about these ones? So the non-cruelty. So then he knows when non-cruelty arises in him. So now non-cruelty is basically compassion. Compassion is considered the opposite of cruelty. So cruelty is like the intention to cause harm to someone or uh, someone or an animal or something like that. And then compassion is actually when uh, encountered with someone in suffering, actually a sense of the heart moving towards, like, like a, a quivering wish. Um, there's a, something that's called the near enemy of compassion, which is pity. So I think it's, um, it's good to note that it's actually not pity. So with pity, there's a sense of separation. It's like, I'm up here, and you're down there, and like, poor you, like you are suffering, but I'm separate from you. So with a sense of compassion, it's actually being completely connected, right? being connected um, in the way of uh, knowing that we are uh, the same, actually. So when the thought of non-cruelty or this compassion is really me, then he considers like, oh, this does not lead to my own affliction or to others' affliction, or the affliction of both. He's very scientific about this, right? He's like, oh, well, let's start this. Right? It is wisdom, it does not cause difficulty, and it actually leads towards freedom. If I think and ponder about this thought of compassion for a day, for a night, even for a night and a day, I see nothing to fear from it. So I'm like, oh, this is a good place to rest the mind. This is actually a good thing to cultivate. But then he actually says, but with excessive thinking and pondering, I might tire my body. When the body is tired, the mind becomes strained. When the mind is strained, it's far from concentration. So then I studied my mind, quieted it, brought it to singleness, and concentrated it again. So my mind would not be strained. So he's like, okay, if intentions arise, these ones of compassion are actually really good ones. But actually thinking about things a lot uh, does lead to some disquiet. So, you know, then he's like, oh, I'll go back to being concentrated. Right. <laughs> so then, uh, he considers the other one, so the non-ill will. So non-ill will uh, is actually this metta, so this kindness, uh, this sense of uh, friendliness that we were cultivating here um, in the, the last part. And then he does the same with this um, uh, renunciation, right? or I could say generosity. So he realizes like these are actually very positive. They uh, do not lead to affliction for others or for me or for both. They aid wisdom, they do not cause difficulty, and they lead towards uh, freedom. So he does all that. And then in paying attention to all this, then he sees that pattern, he says, tireless energy was aroused in me, and unremitting mindfulness was established, my body was tranquil, untroubled, my mind concentrated and unified, and on and on like that. So this is a little account of um, Buddha's experiments and thought categorization. <laughs> so you could try and do this too. You know, I was, was kind of aiming at this when I was ask you to pay attention to your thoughts, although I didn't tell you to put them in the two categories like this. But it's interesting to pay attention when something arises in your mind and heart. Like, well, what is this? And it takes some practice to know what it is. So this is the mindfulness practice. You know, this is the kind of thing that we're doing, like the sitting, trying to be present, is to know what this is. And with the knowing what it is, it's also helpful to be very... uh, open, to be very honest, uh, because for example, here's the Buddha saying like, oh yeah, this thought of cruelty arose in me, right? 
So if he was being like, oh, I'm a spiritual guy, I don't have cruel thoughts, I'm going to pretend that's not there, right? So that's not helpful. So it actually is there. So then if it is there, it's good to see that. So then to notice that, like, oh, okay, this is cruelty. Like, what does cruelty feel like? What does cruelty uh, manifest like in the mind, in the body? And it's really good to get to know these, like, as well as you can. You know, it's kind of like knowing, um, you know, a certain, like, smell, uh, smells like fire or something like that. You know, when you first get a whiff, you're like, oh, something's burning. Okay, where is it? Right. So it's like that, you can start to notice, like, oh, there's some, some, like, whiff of cruelty is coming through, like, uh, like, what's going on? Where is it? Right. To pay attention to that. So actually to become that sensitive to it. And to notice, like, what is this like in the mind? What is this like in the body? Um, to become really, really well-versed in that, to read these things. So what is cruelty? What is ill will like? Uh, what is this uh, greed like? And then also to become well-versed in like, what's the opposite of that? So what does it feel like when there's kindness? You know, what does it feel like when there's a sense of compassion? What does it feel like when there's a sense of generosity? So bringing mindfulness um, in those uh, different states as well. We have plenty of opportunity to practice with this just because every time that we say something uh, or do something, there's some intention involved. And uh, as I say that though, uh, I should caveat that to mean to say that also there can be a variety of intentions involved too. So in even one act of say like giving someone something, um, it's very possible that there's like thousands of moments of intention. So there each, each moment uh, of some action, like has the potential to have an intention, and it's not necessarily all the same one. And that's just how it is, because we're not uh, all perfectly enlightened yet, so then, you know, it's found to be a mixed bag. So, for example, maybe you're giving something to someone, and by and large, it's like a sense of generosity, but every now and then, there's like some sense of ego that arises, like, oh, I'm really great because I'm giving something. Or then maybe a moment of doubt, maybe I shouldn't be giving it, I should keep it a little longer. And if not, I'll give it a, you know. Even in one gesture like that, there could be all these different little things like that, right? So just to pay attention and just know that and, you know, do the best that you can. So you don't have to wait to give anything away until you can only manifest pure generosity for the whole you know, <laughs> action. You kind of do your best to give it. But also just know, like, what the mixed bag is. Like, know, know that. See that clearly, right? Like, don't be afraid about that, about seeing that. Um, don't kid yourself about seeing that. Um, don't pretend it's not there. You know, just like this real radical honesty with yourself about what's going on with that. The um, metaphor that I often use with this, learning how to read this, and I feel like I might have used this before, it's like the trains, maybe it's the trains and trains and buses. Yeah, I'll repeat it anyway. It's like, it's like um, it, t- it can take a while to learn to read these intentions. You know, even when he's saying this, he, it's uh, spoken by someone who is a very strong spiritual practitioner um, and who has, like, clearly a good degree of concentration and awareness. Right? He's like, oh, something arose, I knew it was this, I pondered it, I put it in this category, I let it go. Right? So that's just a good strength of mind to be able to do that. Now, it's possible for all of us to cultivate that. Okay? But the first step is to know what it is. And you can imagine, like, if you're sitting here, and then the period we sat before this, it's kind of like your mind is like a train station. And all these different trains of thought go through. And for most uh, unenlightened, the untrained mortals, um, basically we get on every train that comes through. <laughs> or most of us, right? So you're just sitting there, you know, the instruction, pay attention to the breath, and out, maybe you feel this kind of grinding thing, or, you know, the breath, 
and then you know a train comes through and uh, it's like a train of there's a memory from you know high school or something right and then suddenly you get on that train and then you go through this whole scenario and then suddenly you remember like oh I'm meditating okay come down right right deep breath right and then another thing comes up like you remember something that you want for Christmas or something and then you're like oh I should make sure that I drop hints about that or you know tell someone about it sort of concocting about then oh, okay right meditating come back um, and then something might come up about something about work you remember you sort of worry about it a little bit and then oh okay I should come back again. And maybe something um, really positive comes up, like something um, generous, like, oh, I should remember to call this person who's um, not well. I want to do that. Okay, okay come back. So basically, like, we, we don't have um, uh, so much awareness a lot of the time, so we just get on every train, right, that, uh, that gets us on the platform. And then we wake up somewhere down the track, <laughs> someplace or another, right, uh, and find out where that train went. But we're not always clear in the moment about what it is that train is. Until we wake up in some place, um, you know, awareness that uh, you know sort of come to mindfulness, and then we realize like we're in the middle of some like jealous revenge fantasy. It feels very bad, you know. Uh, and this is only if you're sitting, but in actual life, sometimes you might be in the middle of some terrible, you know, thing that you would regret doing with it, right? Or uh, you know, stalking someone online or something like that, right? And you realize suddenly like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Right? Come down. Or you're down the track on something else. It's just a fantasy. Right. We could get on a fantasy train, go there for a while, and just like, long time gone, the bell rings, come back again, okay. Right. Um, so this is like cultivating mindfulness, is learning to um, pay attention, to know these things. And you don't always know it from the words in the thought. So now our, our habit with thought is to get completely sucked into the content of it, the images, the words, and not actually pay attention to what's underneath of that. So here's what is actually helpful to pay attention to, to train yourself to pay attention to. Um, and it is actually a learning, like a practice, is to be able to see, like, what is the fuel underneath that? So, like, well, what is the intention behind this thought? You know, what flavor is this, you could say? Um, so you're training yourself also to become, like, a, maybe a, a, like a, a epicure or something with thoughts, with intentions in the mind. Uh, so I remember I went to um, a, a factory in uh, Sri Lanka, a tea factory, they have all these different kinds of teas, and people who are like the tea tasters, a special profession of tea tasters, um, and then they put the tea into these like different grades of tea. And uh, tea is a very big product there, it's a big deal, and in you know, many countries there's a big thing about tea time and all this, right? So they actually have many more grades of tea than just like, you know, lips and black tea, period. You know, they have <laughs> much more grades than that. So then, Someone of the tea taster comes and they taste it and kind of like wine tasting, they swill it in their mouth and they taste the different bitterness and then they spit it out because they don't want to drink a whole you know, and they go to the next one, they kind of judge it. So you're learning to be like this with the thoughts and emotions in your mind. You're learning to actually taste them and know like what is this one here. So how do you do that? So this is the practice that we do is just try, trying to pay attention, trying to pay attention. And this, this, uh, um, techniques that I mentioned about labeling can be helpful sometimes. So this labeling is just kind of like um, learning to read. Like, and at whatever point you notice what it is, it's like, oh, okay, this is generosity. Like, let me actually feel this then. Let me notice what this feels like in my body, in my mind. Also, of course, you can actually call up some of these. So like we did in the learning kindness practice, we actually tried to call up the state of kindness, uh, the state of friendliness towards ourselves, towards others. So when you actually intentionally cultivate it, then you can actually try to notice 
So what does this feel like actually? You know, what does this feel like in my body in that moment? So the, the train story that I often tell about this is, so I, I did spend time in Sri Lanka doing um, practice, and I spent time in some different villages and things, and um, I grew up in the United States, and I knew how to read a little bit, but not so fluently. Like, I could speak conversationally fluently, but I couldn't read all the um, characters so well. So I could read kind of like second graders. And they're phonetic characters, so it's like fa, ba, ga, something, you know. But so the buses were all, the signs for the buses that they were going were written in, um, in singulies on them. And so in the beginning, when I try and catch a bus, like you just stand by the road and then you have to like hail the bus if it's the right bus that you want to get on. <laughs> and so I wouldn't know because I couldn't really read fast enough. So the bus, bus is coming and I'm trying to read like ba, ga, And then the next one, like na, Gone. Uh, so then I try and guess maybe from the first characters if it's like close enough then I can tell the bus and get on it and then while I'm on the bus then I try and read the sign and then sometimes by the time I read it I was on the wrong bus and I just pull the thing get on and stuff like that. Actually there's usually nothing to pull. Usually you just yell like final either like I'm getting down and then the bus will stop. So it's like this but then as I went along I started to learn how to read better and better. And so then I actually could read, you know, uh, as the bus was coming, like, oh, okay, this one is going to Naramala, this one is going to uh, Tandy, this one's going to Colombo, I know which bus I want to get on, and then I'll get on the correct bus and then get to go there, right? So this is like what happens in the mind, in the heart. It's like there's different trains that come through, but we don't know how to read the sign on it yet. But there actually are signs in them. And the sign is this intention. It's like actually being able to feel the sense of the intention in your body, in your mind. And it's totally possible to be able to read these. In fact, it's like, a great, uh, it would be a great gift to the world if people could read this much better. So then you know, like, oh, this intention is coming up and, like, I want to say this thing. And, like, oh, is this, is this a helpful thing to say or not? So if you've actually learned to read it well, then you can actually feel in your body, like, what the intention is before blurting out that thing. Otherwise, you've you learned out and then you're like, ooh, that didn't seem, you know, that didn't seem to go over so well, that seemed to be, like, a little off, or, you know. This happens many times, so it's understandable, but, you know, you do your best, but it's possible to be able to read the intentions sooner and sooner, and then to know, like, oh, which bus do I want to get on, right? Like, which is the intention that I want to follow? Um, and as you follow them more also, you're actually cultivating that. So just as the, as the Buddha said about um, whatever you frequently think and ponder upon, that will become the inclination of your mind. So most people don't know this. You know, it's a very simple sentence, but it's actually incredibly powerful to know, you know, so most people just think like, oh, you're born with some like personality and then you're kind of stuck with it. And some people are kind of grumpy and some people are this and some people are that. Right? And I think it is true that we do seem to have certain kinds of temperaments. And you can see this even like little kids, right? Like small children seem to have different temperaments. Right? But it's actually possible to shape that. You know, it's possible to actually train your mind. Uh, and this orientation, as you can tell from the way he's talking about it, is about freedom from suffering. It's about happiness for yourself and for others. So that's kind of the litmus test. So it's not like a some big, this is good, this is bad, or, you know, um, some famous person thinks you should act like this and not like this. You know, it's actually paying attention in your own experience. So like, well, this one leads towards happiness for myself and others. Um, this one leads towards affliction, difficulty for myself and others. So pay attention in your own life about this. You know, like make it your own experiment to notice when these different things come through. Right? 
and it makes life much more interesting too. You know, it's a very rich path of, of noticing these different um, dimensions. But you completely can actually shape your uh, shape your mind. You, the, the things that you think and ponder upon do affect uh, what also happens to come up more spontaneously. So a friend who said that they went to a, a sort of old folks' home and uh, that it was really clear that like, people were not really um, having the energy to practice in this particular stage in their life, mostly. But um, you could just tell like, the inclination of people's minds, kind of like unfettered, you know? Uh, so like unfiltered, like minus, you know, people are like long beyond social conventions there. So, you know, people just saying like whatever comes up to that in their minds, right? And uh, uh, like some people were just like extremely cranky. And that's, you know, this crankiness, this like irritation, basically like they hated everything and, they had found fault with everyone. That was what was going through their mind. And it clearly is just a habit of mind. You know, it's like a habit of mind. Like those, those are the seeds that that person has been um, watering. Like that, those are the trains that they've been getting on time after time. And then also there is, it's clear like other people who have different things going on, like who tend to be very much more pleasant and kind. Like even if very vaguely kind, you know, even if they don't, they don't remember the person in front of them or. There's no good reason. You know, there's not, no, like, object to it in some way. But just, like, that seems to be their temperament. That, that's kind of what they have cultivated in their life. Yeah. There are the seeds that they have been planting, and that's what they've watered. And so then, at a point at which they're kind of unfiltered, that's what's coming through. Yeah. And it's actually beautiful to see that, too. So, now that you have your wits about you enough to show up at San Francisco inside, you have the message, you know. <laughs> you have some ability to influence how you're going to be in the old folks' home if you make it so far. <laughs> Uh, for the benefit, this is also to be affliction of yourself or affliction of others, right? <laughs> Everyone around you has to pay attention to that. So the intention, the intention. Then it also can seem very um, idealistic in some ways, like you know, in a world where it's about getting things and making things and doing things, like this whole inclination of mind or kindness or compassion, or, you know, generosity. It was like, well, what, how are you going to get ahead that way? How are you going to get somewhere? So, you know, the teaching is really focused on happiness, freedom, liberation. It's about understanding the truth of the way things are. So, according to these teachings also, this is in fact the way to do things. So, even if you want, say, to end a war, right, uh, you know, what's the best way to do that? Like, should we blow everyone up? Maybe that'll end the war, right? And uh, so, you know, according to the Buddha, hatred will never cease by hatred. Hatred will only cease by love. This is a universal law. So interestingly then, uh, you know, you heard this also later on, uh, Gandhi said it. Hatred will only cease by love. Hatred will never cease by hatred. Also, Martin Luther King Jr. said it. Hatred will never cease by hatred. Hatred will only cease by love. So it sounds like it's a universal law. All these different people said it right, across different periods of time, across different countries, uh, you know, who have had some uh, effect in movements. So it's helpful to pay attention to that. You know, actually, the key thing is that this is actually the way things are. Like, this is actually the way to uh, have things happen. Even when it seems like there's a shortcut that could be through cruelty. Or, you know, if I could shortcut this and I could actually hate, or I could, I could be greedy, I could like get this thing and then that'll be fine for me, right? So your teachings are like, well, it looks good in the short term in some ways, in terms of acquisition of objects, right? But actually both in terms of the longer term cultivation of your mind and heart, and in terms of 
the path towards happiness, right? Uh, you're going in the wrong direction. So you think about like, well, what, what is it all about? You know, what are we trying to do here? Like, to get things or to make things or uh, acquire things or accomplish things. So for most people, it actually is about being happy. So like, why do you want to accomplish things? Or why do you want to accumulate money? Or why do you want to be, be respected? You know, at the bottom, it's about like wanting to be happy. Like, you feel like this will satisfy, be a satisfactory way to be. Like, I'll be happy. I get this job, or I have this title, or I make this much money, or I have this kind of security. Like, you want this kind of safety and happiness. So in the Buddhist teaching, it's kind of like cut to the chase. Like, what you want is happiness, then let's go for happiness. So let's pay attention to what gets in the way of happiness and what leads to happiness. And it might be counter to what the rest of the world says about, like, you'll be happier if you have this bigger, better thing, right? Or you'll be happier if, like, you get this next uh, title, or and so on. So let's just actually notice, like, what leads towards happiness, what leads away from that. And the Buddha often talks about this, that the heart or mind that inclines, slopes, slants, and leans towards freedom. You know, this leaning towards freedom. It's like a good way to lean right, towards freedom. And you can cultivate this with cultivating intentions. So the, the Dalai Lama apparently when asked um, how he stays calm in very threatening situations because he you know, has been in many difficult situations in his life from you know, fleeing uh, from Tibet and then uh, love hostility from Chinese government and people not, not uh, wanting him to have so much power. So he said this about which is related to intention. My sincere motivation is my biggest protection. So actually just the sincerity of his motivation you know, and, and you said before, you know, kindness is my true religion. So it's this sincerity that actually is the biggest protection for him. So paying attention to our intentions, so we do it in the training posture as we sit, to sort of learn to read the signs, we're kind of learning to read in this way, and you know, learning to read the signs in the bus, right? Um, in this kind of lab of just sitting here. Because it's hard to do it when you're moving around and talking and whatnot, right? So at first we try and read just sitting down. Right? So it's kind of like how when you want to start reading signs, like you start reading and sitting down, the book, like, okay, this is A, you take it slow like that, right? Then we move to more advanced and we start to notice, like, okay, in speaking and acting, right, what is the intention? Right? You can already start doing that, but it's much harder to do it in the midst of conversation, in the midst of acting. Um, but still, try and do that. Try and pay attention. Um, try and pay attention to what it feels like in your body. Try and pay attention in your mind. Try to actually kind of label them sometimes, too. So kind of, you know, put a little, like, sort of tag it. Like, okay, this is this, this intention is this. So in this way, we're cultivating the path. So this is the second piece of the Eightfold Path, and, and actually critical in that way, and has so much potential. And so much potential because we are speaking and acting so often in our life. So basically, every day you have like millions of opportunities to pay attention to this, and also millions of opportunities to actually cultivate, millions of opportunities to learn. So like with all of this in the past, it's kind of like a, um, a trial and error situation. So many times you might say something or do something and then you're like, oh, okay. Afterwards you realize like, oh, okay, that was felt bad, right? Maybe like you would like to go this way and then you kind of veer off this way. But then reflect on it actually. Think about what were the conditions of that and so on. 
And then maybe sooner and sooner you'll be able to notice when you're at the juncture point of, um, of choice of this way or that way. So here's where it connects with karma also is that you know, what arises in our body-mind system, so what intentions arise, um, that actually is not in your control at the moment. So what happens to naturally arise? Now you can try and cultivate those intentions. Like you can have the intention to cultivate more love, more generosity and so on, and that's very good. And to actually try and steer your mind in that direction. But also, whatever comes up now is sort of the past, uh, the fruition of past seeds of karma, so past intentions. From this life, from past lives, from you know, situations you've been in. So that's sort of the cultivation that's happened so far. And that's kind of like water under the bridge. So you can't go back and change the past. And all of us have different um, mixes of that. Right? Um, but what you can do is actually pay attention in the moment and just know, like, okay, this is in this category, these are in this category. These are ones that I wish to seek an act from, these are ones I don't. So these are the seeds I want to water and tend to and put fertilizer on, right? Compassion, kindness, generosity. And these ones I do not want to. So you don't have to hate them when they come up. That's actually another negative intention, right? Unwholesome intention. Um, but just see them, and then just know with wisdom, with clarity, like, okay, that's not the that's not the garden I want to have. Like, you know, brambly bushes and like thorns and you know, icky things and stuff, right? So then I want water, right? and then I'll water these. So that's a little bit about intention for you. I have those thoughts for your reflection. Let's see if anyone has any any questions or comments. In the back, yeah. You know, it's very timely you brought up Gandhi, um, and tomorrow there's going to be a perhaps West Coast blockade. There's been a lot of debate and discussion within the movement. Now, if Gandhi says, I'm going to prevent the British from controlling salt, there are some Brits that are going to say, that's very cool, Gandhi. My family depends on collecting those things. People are going to be displaced and inconvenienced. And yet God, you let a march to get salt for the Indian people. So within that context, everything that a movement does that may cause inconvenience to some people could be considered cruel, but actually help lift other people up. So how do you how do you stir it through the intention there, you know, setting aside the obvious of not getting police, not being violent, and right. you know, trying to be Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So two so two things is that one is being clear about your own intention. So you know, we often attribute or um, ascribe other people's intentions. Um, but you never really know what other people's intentions are. You know. We feel like we can totally know, like, oh that person was out for this or that, right? But, you know, it's amazing how well we think we can read others when we can't actually read ourselves, you know. <laughs> so, the first thing is actually to learn to read yourself, to, to be clear about your own intentions. Like, is it actually an action of cruelty, or is it actually an action of um, wisdom, generosity, kindness, right? Like, what is the intention behind it? So, that's one. Um, but also, it's, it's um, not necessarily as simple as that, too, because it's kind of like with the speech thing, you know, but it's not just like say what's true all the time. You know, there are these things about understanding the context with wisdom. So like, um, what is the right time and what is necessary? Like, what is the impact of this? So for example, supposing you want to give a colleague of yours um, feedback that's like constructive feedback, right? So constructive feedback means something that they've been doing that's unhelpful, that it would be helpful if they understood the impact of, right? And it's actually true. And it might actually be helpful to that person. Uh, in fact, many people think the same thing about what they do, like say they interrupt people a lot. Right? 
for example. Um, and it's, you know, it makes them like not be uh, as good a team person and people don't want to work with them and you know, all this stuff. But they're kind of oblivious to it, for example, like many of us are to our bad habits. So you say, like, oh, I'm going to tell this person that. And it actually is with some kindness. It's not like I want to, I think I'm better than them, or it's not like um, I want to cut them down or something. But then there's a context of when do you want to tell them. So, like, are you going to tell them in front of everyone else? Um, are you going to tell them, uh, you know, privately? Are you going to tell them on the bus? Are you, going to tell them? you know, so it's like thinking up through, like, the context of it, too, and the implications, like, this could be impact of that, too. So, similarly, um, you know, there's a certain amount of innocence about this, about being clear about the intentions. And even, you know, the thing about the Dalai Lama, like, sincere motivation is my protection, there's really this innocence about that that's very beautiful. And also, it's good to be aware, right, like, with the sincere motivation, then also, like, what is the larger impact, too, right? So knowing your motivation is uh, a main piece of it, but then also being aware of the larger impact of that, right? In the meantime, like, people are going to maybe ascribe all different motivations to you, depending on what you're doing, right? Um, and that's not really in your control, right? like, like, what people think about what you're doing or what their, their uh, projection is of your motivation. There's like this in the world, right? Like, whose integrity can you do you have any kind of influence or control over? So we spend a lot of energy sometimes trying to control other people's actions and words, but really the one we have the most uh, <coughs> apparent control is that, or at least monitoring or mindfulness about it, is your own mind and heart. Right? So all the energy we spend, like pointing fingers at other people, like if we could spend that attention actually learning to read the intentions of our mind and heart, it would be like a much uh, more beneficial thing leading away from the affliction of, uh, <laughs> to ourselves and others, right, and both. So, that's kind of what occurs to me about that one. Thanks for that question. It seems that it's not possible to not do harm, you said? Everything we do, you know, thinking about what you were saying about the happiness of animals and human life forms and all life, we, by our nature, have to kill things and even kill living things. But we have to do that. I mean, and science might not have the same capacity to appreciate that as, as mammals, but they still There's one piece of it that's about sort of the food thing, like what do you eat? So are you eating meat? Are you vegetarian? Um, things like that. And you know, there's debates about whether humans are sort of like meant to be carnivorous or meant to be omnivorous or meant to be vegetarian or you know, like uh, like in South India there are a lot of people who actually are vegetarian who seem to be just fine. So it doesn't seem like you have to eat meat. Right? But then 
Anyway, so that, there's a whole uh, discussion on that. But I think it's true that about harming, uh, uh, harming, like actually even causing death, that there is a way in which, even with your best intentions, we are kind of like living uh, on the backs of each other in some way. Right? So uh, even just through interconnection, like there's bacteria living in your mouth. And when you brush your teeth, you probably kill them. But like, what's your intention when you brush your teeth? So for very few people, is it like, now I'm going to do my bacteria killing, you know, killing <laughs> right? So mostly it's about protecting your teeth, and I don't like actually kindness, or, you know, or probably it's probably a neutral thing, but not just a habit, you know, <laughs> think about what its intention is. But it actually is more from the self-care, right, of keep, keeping your teeth clean and stuff like that, right, than from uh, ill intention towards uh, some, uh, like, microcosm, like mi- <laughs> microorganisms, right? Um, so somewhere like that, it's like, here's where it's like, well, what's my intention as I take this action? But also to know, you know, like, what is the implications of what I'm doing? Then at the same time as the Buddha, like, there also were many other different spiritual uh, sects, and one of them was, like, the Jains, um, who actually took it much further around not um, killing. So they actually, like, wouldn't drink um, water that had been standing out because maybe there were organisms in that, or um, would sweep the ground before walking, so to avoid um, stepping on insects and things like that. Um, so there were different schools like that, but the, the Buddha actually made a distinction between, for example, with killing, um, the intentional part of it, and this is the teaching on karma, it's really like the intention that plants the seeds for it. So in order, for example, now we're going back to like the um, action of the precepts, but in order for something to have been an act of intentional killing, there has to be a living being present. You have to know that that living being is present. There has to be the intention to kill the being then you have to actually kill the being, like there has to be a successful act killing of the being. Right? So all those different things have to be there for it to be considered uh, killing, right? in, in, in terms of like the karmic consequences of that, and the, the intention, and the actual action, and so on. So this is after the Buddha at one point when there was an old monk who was uh, kind of blind, and he was doing his walking meditation, and he was like smushing all these hands. Right? Um, but he didn't see he was pushing yet, like he wasn't intentionally <coughs> doing that. So there's like, there were, some of the monks were like, oh no, like if he does terrible look, he's killing the insects and stuff. So, you know, hopefully they guided him away from the ant area to do this walking meditation, but the Buddha said like, no, you know, uh, he's not perceiving them to be, he's not perceiving living beings or having the intention to kill them, so uh, it actually is not the same problem consequences. Now, that does not make, like, ignorance or delusion sort of an uh, excuse, too. Because sometimes, if you're intentionally like, oh, I don't see any, you know, <laughs> but you kind of do, right? <laughs> then it doesn't qualify as <laughs> So if you really don't know that, you really don't see it, right? And, and that actually is a pretty, pretty important point, because I think a lot of times, we try to avoid seeing the harm that we're doing in the world, you know? Like, it's hard for us to take that in. Like, it's hard for us to recognize the way in which our lives are built on other people uh, in so many different ways. Okay. So it's a, it's a complex one, and it's good to pay attention in, as much as you can to the uh, intentions, as well as it actually just cultivates the intention of compassion, I think. You know, because it is a very complicated world, and we are kind of living uh, off each other in like many different ways, like economically and uh, socially and like in actuality, like you know, different living beings, you know, even to, like, make this building, right? Like, all the different beings were probably killed in that. Yeah. As I note the discussion, there are 
groups of people, I think, mainly indigenous, who, I mean, what comes to mind are Eskimos, who would kill a living being to survive, but then would have some kind of ceremony honoring the being that they killed so they could yeah. survive. So that's another way of looking at that there was a sort of understanding, a recognition of that, and yeah. 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 Ye
Yeah, yeah. I mean, like addiction is a good example of uh, you know when a certain intention has been like the seeds have been sown in the mind so strongly, you know, mm-hmm. that then people then say it sort of like solidifies as addiction. And anyone who's been addicted to something, whether it's smoking or uh, drinking or sugar or something like that, you know, you know it, it does feel like a biological, you know, it feels like it's so strong, it's very difficult to get out of that, right? Um, and you can pay attention to all the different factors um, leading to that. But the thing about the, you know, like, um, it seems like sensual desire, there's some good from it. Um, there is this distinction made between, like, the desire, the craving part, you know, this, like, uh, reaching, and the experience of something pleasant. And that you actually can experience something pleasant, like um, like music that's uplifting, um, or even uh, having a relationship with someone. And it, the desire is not like a necessary component. Like that kind of like meaning of the mind, that like this kind of desire that's being talked about is like this grasping kind of thing, right? Like that is not an essential ingredient in enjoying something at all. In fact, it actually leads away from that. Like, like that is the mind like contracting around something like, like, um, kind of like choking it. You know, it's like, um, whatever the beautiful experience is, it's like um, wanting to acquire that, or like it's like objectifying in that moment, whatever that is, whether it's a person or an experience. You know, uh, and it's very strong. It's like very intense that sort of objectification. So it actually is that process, and it's not the end. Too. It's not. It's not even about what the. Um, Desired object is at all, and the desired object could be like um, pleasant, unpleasant, good, bad, you know. But it's like that dynamic. So there's a thing with intention too. It's not. It's, it's different than a goal, or it's, it's different than the end result. You know? mm-hmm. um, because like uh, pleasant, like good music is like there's nothing wrong with that per se. Um, there's nothing wrong with like having a relationship with someone or something. You know, uh, any of that. It's sort of like more about our intention towards that. So some of people misunderstand like with Buddhist teachings about this, like with attachment, you know. Uh, like I've had many different, um, like very earnest students say like, oh, I, I feel like I shouldn't have a relationship with someone because um, there's attachment, right? So then I shouldn't get involved in the area of relationships. But I was like, well, but, you know, and it's impermanent, right? But it's like everything is impermanent. Like your pants are impermanent, but that doesn't mean like, I'm going to stop wearing pants. So, you know, like, I'm, I'm attached to them. It's like I'm attached to them in some way. But so, okay, if you're attached to your pants and you'll be sad if they get torn, then know that, right? It doesn't mean you don't have to, you're not wearing the pants is not going to remove the attachment. <laughs> but the attachment's in the mind, it's not in the object itself. Like, we think it's in the object, so then I'm going to push that away somewhere. But no, it's actually in the mind. We actually pay attention more, you know. Um, I mean, sometimes it's good to know, like if you have an addiction towards something, like, oh, I shouldn't go there, I shouldn't deal with that, I shouldn't hang around people who drink or whatever. That's like wise, skillful action. But for others of us, I think, like, actually, it's not avoiding the thing that you have this relationship with. It's the secret to it. It's actually understanding the mind. Because the truth with this desire thing, too, is that, like, we think it's in the object. I think that was about this the last time. We think it's in the object, but then you notice, like, you get that object, and then there's something else. There's the next thing. It's like, oh, I'll be happy when I get to this line. And the line keeps moving. You know, it's like, oh, when I get that boyfriend, or when I get that job, or when I get this much money, or when I get this, you know. And then you get that thing, and then it's still, it's like, oh, but now when I get this thing, and now when the next, you know, it's like, so, so it's not actually about the thing, then it's about that meaning of mind, and that's where to pay attention. All right, so, okay, one more quick one. Um, I was just 
noticing um, sort of the, the pace of intention, so how rapidly things come up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think when, when we were talking about noticing Zuka, I think my major one was, you know, kind of rapid fire of what I should be doing. Um, and so I'm wondering if you have any ideas about sort of slowing down there. <laughs> that speed of arising intention, because I think it's partly the, the bus thing is just recognize reading the words that have to have some Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It seems like, you know, the mind is very busy. It seems like, oh, there's a lot. It's like, yeah, very busy in <laughs> Yeah. It's like, yeah, like 101 or something trying mm-hmm. to read that. Right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, some of it is, like, actually um, related to other elements of the, um, the path, which is, uh, of the April path, which is, like, developing mindfulness and developing concentration, like, which we're doing in the sitting practice. So developing this collectiveness of mind, um, to be able to focus it towards reading the sun, uh, developing the sense of awareness too. And then, you know, these other, other past factors, like other factors like a certain amount of calm or equanimity, like also can be helpful in being able to um, notice, to be able to read, like to have this groundedness in that. So all of that is being cultivated as you do your practice, you know, so which is one of the reasons why uh, practice is important. Like it's called practice. You know, it's probably called practice because uh, if you're just like, oh, I'm just going to live my life and I'm going to figure all this out, right? Like, it's hard to do that on the fly. So you give yourself some advantage in being like, all right, let me gain some measure of stability of mind, you know, in the morning or in the evening or whatever. Let me do a little, sort of, you can think of it as reading practice. You know, I'll sit here for 15 minutes, 10 minutes, and try to read, try to know, okay, what is this mind state, what is this intention, you know. And you just do the best you can, too. So actually, at the point at which you notice, like, oh, there's so many different intentions going on, that might be great, because, you know, before that, you might not have noticed that. You might have just been like, oh, I'm just one thing, and it's this. I'm a generous person, or I'm a hateful person, you know, or even just, like, this one action is just about this. So that you can see that there's so many, like, that's great. But also, it can be tiring to try to, you know, get all this. So sometimes you can just get get what you can, like, get what you can. Mm -hmm. So that's what you can pay attention to this week is intentions. So notice that in your sitting practice. Notice that in your mind and heart as you go through the day. Even with speech is a great place to notice, like, oh, what's the intention behind my saying this to this person? You know? And uh, either you could even just, um, in this he's dividing into the uh, ill will and greed and cruelty. Uh, it, it feels like that's too, uh, they're too refined. You could just like, uh, icky and not <laughs> like uh, you know, ones that lead towards suffering, affliction, so it could be icky and non-icky or you know, positive or something. Just you know, whatever works for you. Just like play with it, experiment with it. Just try to start to read this, and it'll be very helpful for you and for others.